You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading um, is from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, and Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello. If you haven't met me before, my name's Coyne, the associate pastor here. So good to see you all uh, this wonderful afternoon. Uh, you know, recently my two-year-old son uh, has uh, been praying before bed with my wife, Lena, and I, and it's very sweet. You know, he'll start off with, with a dear Lord and then list the things that he's very thankful uh, for before saying, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. So the usual, he always prays, is, you know, dear Lord, thank you for God. Thank you for Jesus, you know, pastor's kid, right? And then he'll start saying, thank you for shops. Thank you for shopping, you know, my wife's kid, right? And then the other day he said, you know, thank you for family. And then he listed our family as like, thank you for Elijah, which is him. Thank you for mummy. Thank you for Ethan, his brother. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) He most definitely, you know, left me out on purpose. What a jokester. So I tickled him, you know, until he remembers it forever. You've got to include daddy in your prayer, right? But I really love that he prayed for his family. You know, for many people, family is a huge part of our identity, who we are, what we like, how we see life. A lot of this has to do with, you know, our, our family upbringing and family dynamics, our relationships and connections we have with our parents, with our siblings, with our children, uh, external family. It's as well-known pastor Chuck Swindle says of family, a family is a place where principles are hammered and honed on the anvil of everyday living. Now, as we've already noted in this proverb series, uh, the family relationship was one of the most, if not the most, sorry, significant relationships in ancient Near East times. And so if we look around the world today, we see that family is actually still highly regarded in most cultures. The fact that so many centuries on, family remains the bedrock of cultures and societies shows just how substantial this type of relationship is. And the book of Proverbs agrees, you know, with many of the Proverbs pointing to a key theme being family. In particular, the forging of strong, godly families, mainly targeted at the dynamics of parents and children. The Proverbs essentially tell us that in order to flourish in our lives, we must build upon the powerful institution that is family. So parenting is crucial. Now, there are many of you sitting here today who perhaps aren't parents, and I must admit that today's sermon is heavily focused on the parent's role, Uh, but I want to encourage you that while these Proverbs may speak to that demographic, we all here are children, and there's a lot of wisdom to take from these Proverbs as children who have parents of some sort. But also, while not parents, you may likely be in positions of influence, well, to folks younger than you, you know, you might have uh, nephews and nieces or even younger siblings, even the youth here at our church and the, C- the, C- the city kids around, you are an influence to these young lives around you. 
So I think there are a lot of gems we can take from these Proverbs today to help us grow in wisdom, not only as parents, but as Christians. And it's in these Proverbs that I see some clear distinctives that help us forge these strong relationships, beginning with a family of devotion. Now, to hear that uh, a family is one of those relationships that has kept its importance throughout history, we have to ask why that is. And I think the best way to explore that is to go back to the very beginning, where family started. You know, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See, the Bible tells us that in creation, where God made all things, we're told that when God made man and woman, he made them with intention to fill the earth, to not simply be just them too, and then God will create two new people and two new people from there. But he wanted them to fill the earth. It means God had wanted family since the very beginning. That family was and is God's idea. It is his way. It is his plan. In this way, uh, able to fill the earth with with what more, uh, what, what Genesis chapter 1 verse 20 says, uh, 27 says, more image bearers of God. This was essentially the, the building block of human society. More people who are made in the image of God, made for the purpose of worshipping God. And we can see that in the very first proverb, in chapter 1 verse 7 uh, to 8 in Proverbs, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. In other words, fearing the Lord is what it means to be wise. A fear of the Lord that is uh, like how theologian David Atkinson describes, a reverent obedience to God. And it's this wisdom in fearing the Lord that ought to run in the family. Family is part of God's plan. And it is for God's glory. God made us to worship and glorify him. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And he gave us family as a means of doing that. We were made to be in families of devotion, devoting ourselves to the Lord. And so as we are taking a look at Proverbs today and thinking through this topic of family, we have to know first of all that devotion to God is of utmost importance whether we are mums, dads, brothers, siblings, sisters, brothers, children, God's continuing plan for us is to love and worship him. Our devotion to him is what undergirds a lot of the wisdom that we will read today, which is why we hear a lot of these Proverbs focusing on parents and children today because it's in being parents and children that influences the family dynamics most. In parenting, you have a great responsibility. You are older, normally wiser, in a position to lead and love your children. So the impact that you have on your child is immense when it comes to devotion. Just as well in being a child, you have a great incentive that there are those that are older than you who have been called to impart wisdom into your life that you would grow in the fear of the Lord. So your humility goes a long way when it comes to devotion. And I think it's important and I think it's important too that, that we look at what it means to be wise and flourish in our family dynamics because while it is God's plan to create family that we may be, be devoted to him, we're caught up in a time where there is a direct attack on this. 
a, di- a direct attack on family because the notion of family has changed so much during biblical days to our days today. See, while our society and culture mostly appreciates aspects of family, it has gradually shifted the dynamics, especially between parents and children. You know, as, as former Ridley uh, Bible College principal Peter Adams said, we're now in a time where much of society will support children having their own voice at the cost of diminishing the parent's voice. See, we're now seeing families focused on a devotion to the self rather than a devotion to God. See, we're seeing more parents take their hands off, off the wheel of responsibility and seeing more children hold on, take hold of folly over wisdom. And for example, we're seeing in our culture here today that, that for something as damaging as, let's say, gender reassignment, the age of permission is slowly creeping younger and younger, which is more than just an attack on sexuality, but it's an attack on family, putting more power into the hands of children over parents, revealing to us just how far gone this, this picture of family and devotion to God has become. See, the connection seems to be getting further and further. Society loves the good parts of family, like the TV commercials that you see uh, around Christmas time. But at the same time, with society uplifting self-devotion, we'll see things that make family family diminish, like the importance of roles and responsibilities, the significance of instruction and modelling, the necessity of discipline and correction. In other words, the impact of wisdom and folly. And so what naturally happens is we are getting more and more parents who have less of an influence on their children and children who are becoming more and more wayward, impacting generations, where all the things that made families so significant as seen in scripture is now seen as either less significant or seen completely as needless. And it all stems from us pulling further away from building families who devote themselves to the Lord. As Proverbs 6 verse 20 says, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now imagine the father or mother here as two people who love and fear the Lord, who devote their lives to living faithfully to him, pursuing wisdom of the word. It means that that will be passed on to their sons and daughter. Switch that around to a mother and father who devote themselves to the self pursuing the wisdom of the world, you know, living in folly, and just the same, it means that would be passed on to their sons and daughter. Do you see the importance of uh, devotion to God here and why I started off with it? Our fear of the Lord has to be the foundation of our families. As Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Because when you don't, just as we see in the culture around us, if families aren't devoted to God, they'll be devoted to something else. Now, in saying this, there is something important that I should point out, that while Proverbs may encourage us to live lives devoted to God, that we may be an influence on our, we may influence our family around us, by no means am I saying that this is a guarantee. We have to remember, just like in all the other weeks that we've been in this series in Proverbs, that these are principles, not promises. 
like training, like training a child that he should go and he will not depart from it, we know this can't be a promise because it's likely that we know someone or maybe you've experienced yourself a child who's been raised in a good Christian faithful home and yet have now gone wayward. So seeing a proverb such as this as a pro- promise can lead to dangers such as, you know, beating ourselves up or, or using it to judge other parents. So while a parent may live a life devoted to God, reflecting and passing on that onto their children, this is not a guarantee that the child will too then devote themselves to the same kind of living. It's like something I heard from the, the parenting course that was just plugged um, uh, that will be next week, actually, with, uh, with our City Kids group um, that was planned for next Saturday, that from Psalm 127, it tells us that children are like arrows in a warrior's quiver, where if you shoot an arrow, you're aiming for something, hoping that it will hit the target. But then have you noticed that when you're, when you're aiming for it, any small movers, all the small things leading up to it make a difference on where that arrow lands right? Which is much like parenting. But notice that as soon as you shoot that arrow, you no longer have control over it. There are things like wind or the gravity that plays a part in that change, in that changing the trajectory of it. See, a great picture of parenting. We must remember that these are not ironclad guarantees, but they are helpful principles that can help shape how we do life in a biblically wise way. And so devotion to God is so vital. But what does that practically look like? Well, Proverbs tells us that a wise family is a family of direction. Proverbs 1 verse 8 to 9, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. See, while school is the most obvious place that children are taught and instructed, the family ought to be the same. It it should be the place where parents are teaching and instructing their children to learn. It's, It's as author and pastor John Piper says, the family is God's basic school for instructing children how to live in the world. See, while God had planned and, uh, and willed families to be a place uh, where we would multiply, you know, be, be fruitful and fill the earth, he wants us to fill the earth with people who are instructed and taught well because that next generation matters. Like I grew up with my mum who was very generous and taught me uh, to be the same. You know, she showed, she owned a restaurant and she showed, uh, she, she, she loved showing the gospel through her generosity. So for example, she would often, for all the people that she knew, you'd go in there and you wouldn't have to pay for the meals that she was cooking for you at a restaurant. Or even I'd bring in friends that she had never met before and she's like, don't worry, you don't have to pay for anything. She would even buy huge items for some of my close friends. I remember she bought like a whole computer PC for my friend. I'm like, where's mine? You know, and she bought this for my friend because she treated him like a son. And it's something that has stuck with me, her generosity. It's something that I learned from her and I, and I want to teach my children this, this gospel generosity. See, parents are influential and remain influential for, for decades of their children's lives. And it's actually a bit of a scary thought, isn't it, that, that parents would have so long an influence on how another person is formed. But thankfully, while it is a, a great responsibility, we have a great assistance. Because being families who are called to, uh, to to devotion to the Lord, we actually have the best guide we could possibly ask for. We have the Bible, God's wisdom 
and instruction to us. There for us to use to instruct our kids. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see, parents, what we already have? A family of direction is one who goes to the right source for that direction. And for families devoted to God, that source is his word. While the home is indeed a basic school for, uh, for, for our kids, when the proverb talks about a father's instruction and a mother's teaching, this isn't a call for parents uh, to be maths teachers or driving instructors as, at home, you know? You can be if you like. But the call of wisdom here is to be teachers of the word. Remember, Proverbs is a book about wisdom. And wisdom comes from fearing the Lord, it says in chapter 1. What better way to know and love and fear the Lord more than by going into his word and teaching that to your kids? Now, because families are all different, unique and varying in uh, dynamics and context, you know, situations, there are so many practical ways we can go about instructing our families uh, in the word. You know, you just go to Kurong, a Christian bookstore, and you'll find yourselves, you'll find shelves filled with this topic. But something I thought that would be helpful uh, and easy to remember was to break it up into three R's, regular, relational, and realistic. Now, first of all, regular, and you know, I think of author and professor Don Whitley, who Don Whitney, sorry, who when he was uh, when his kids were younger at a young age, he would start them when they were young doing family devotions daily with them around the dinner table, and he would share to to people when he was sharing the story that the kids would moan and groan about it for years, years on end, and he'd always wonder, is this actually getting through to my kids? But at his daughter's gra- college graduation, when when you graduate and you get to share a, share a speech. At her graduation, she shared that she appreciated so much that her dad would continuously do family devotion together around that dinner table because it was instrumental in shaping her faith. And then now in her own family, with her own kids, she does exactly the same thing. It is passed on. And I think family devotions are one of the most fruitful ways to teach and instruct through God's word. Because what I love about family devotions is, is that they are often set up in a way that is regular. Like just many of us, many of us would probably do personal devotions, you know, perhaps buying devotionals such as New Morning Mercies by Paul pa- David Tripp or uh, My Rock, My Refuge by Tim Keller. I'm sure that Michelle Darun, our CK coordinator, would have great suggestions on some family devotionals that you could do around the fa- with the family. But it also doesn't have to be a book, but could also be very simple like reading a paragraph of scripture for five minutes over dinner or over breakfast. But the key aspect to remember in all this is to do it regularly. Because when something is talked about and taken in regularly, the higher chances that these are the things that will stick. If we aren't regularly engaging our kids with the word of God, we can't expect them to magically know how to live according to it. This takes effort from us, yes, but it is worthwhile. As it says, the wisdom that we give our children is like a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. These were like 
crown like wreaths of flowers and leaves and a necklace made of precious materials, fine jewelry that comes at a great cost. These are treasures that would have had history, value, and could even be passed along from generation to generation. So if our wisdom comes from the word, the word in which we regularly engage with our family, while coming at a cost in perhaps our time, our effort, our energy, we can be sure that it is valuable. It can be taught to our kids and then passed on to their kids and then passed on to their kids. So let the word of God be something your family digs into regularly. Now, the second R that I think is helpful in direction is to be relational. You know, many of you may know the wonderful uh, Flores family here at our church, the Miriam, Karina, and their mum, Anna, uh, who are always, almost always the ones that cook for us during events and do morning tea, set it up. Uh, they set up all the catering. They just do wonderful things here at our church. I remember Miriam sharing to me once how there was a time where she was quite angry with God because she didn't get into the vet course uh, in uni that she wanted to get, that she really desired. But in her frustration, she chatted about it with her mum. And they share a very close relationship with her mum, Anna. And Anna encouraged her and said, remember to, to, to trust in what the Lord is doing, even if you don't get it. And be reminded of that the Lord is continuing to do good and trust in his plan and will for you. And be thankful no matter what. And the next day, it was crazy. Mim got a call from the uni that said that somebody had dropped out and that she was next in line. So she actually did get into that course in the end. But then Anna, her mum, keeps reminding her to this day in that to give glory to God for what he has done and use what he has given you for, the, for him. See, it's a great image of the close bonds some families can have, this mum and daughter, isn't it? And I think a family that is relational is an underrated trait. Because we're living in quite a unique time where relationships can look very different than they used to be. You know, in a digital age, we have relationships with friends and family across the world. But in the same vein, we can feel distant being online. We have the internet, so knowledge that used to be passed from a parent to a child can be accessible now with a click of a button. We have both parents and kids nowadays who are more glued to the screens right in front of them while they're sitting there face to face. It's a unique and challenging time where parents and children have resources to be more connected, yet seem so much more disconnected. So being relational is significant in our instruction. What I mean by this is how we connect and relate to our kids. Now, I'm not saying you go and dress in baggy clothes, you know, wear your hat backwards and try to speak hip, you know, that's not what I'm talking about, not that kind of relational, but more so getting to know what is going on in your children's lives? Like what is going on in their world? Because when you're actually in the lives of your kids, it gives you more opportunity to speak wisdom into their lives. If you know that your teenage son is currently interested in, uh, in a girl, you're able to shed wisdom, wisdom from God's word on dating, on love, on intimacy. If you know your daughter is struggling with some of the things that her uni is standing for or teaching her, you're able to dialogue with her, sharing to her about what God's word might have to say on the matter. If you know that your kids are just discovering the internet and the endless good and the endless bad that comes from it, you're able to teach them about uh, what's out there and what wisdom would help us, how wisdom would help us navigate such a tool. See, in one of my wife's uni subjects in her, in her teaching degree, they said that it is often true that you learn from who you like. 
And while that is, that is a line that is not a promise, but more of a principle, I think it's one that can be quite true in our parenting. Our kids know when we are genuinely not interested in their lives. They know if we care or not about their interests, their circumstances, their current issues. We've been kids before. We know. So being relational is important. Letting us use the wisdom of the word to speak into their lives in a way that they can appreciate and they can likely learn. See, I'm reminded of the words here of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. See, this was a call to God's people to devote themselves to him and for parents to instruct their children in this way, being in the nitty gritty of their child's life. It's like as one author says, be a guide, not a general. Instructing in wisdom means being relational. And the final R that I think is helpful in instructing and teaching is to be realistic. You know, Proverbs 22, verse 20, chapter 23, sorry, verse 22 says, listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction and understanding. Now you see the imagery here, the imagery of time. From birth, it says, and then to when a mother is elderly. Proverbs is saying to the child to listen to the wisdom of your parents for the duration of life. And this will make a father and mother rejoice and be glad, it says in the proverb. For the parent, it means we have to understand that this is a lifelong thing. There are no shortcuts. Like this isn't Ikea where our kids are like furniture and you just have an instruction manual and you just build them up like, like a chair. But these are souls who learn, who grow, who make mistakes, who change. And more than that, these are souls like ours that sin, you know, for all have fallen short, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have to be realistic when it comes to our instruction. There aren't there aren't, you know, corners to cut or quick fixes when it comes to wisdom. It requires patience and prayer. See, just as the book of Philippians promises that God will continue to do a good work in us, we have to trust God in that he will be doing a good work in our children also. So we don't take our hands off completely. Uh, don't, we don't take our hands completely off the wheel of responsibility, but we also don't handcuff ourselves to the wheel either. Because I think our temptation is to feel like we can control every single outcome that happens in our child's life and how they turn out. Like a helicopter parent who just hovers over their kids 24-7, hoping to shape and mold them to exactly how they want them to be. But our children, while our responsibility, will also live their own lives and are responsible for their own lives. So when it comes to faith, they will not be, sa- they will not be saved because of their mum or dad's faith. But it's the personal, personal faith. So we need to control less and trust more because our devotion to the Lord means trusting in the Lord. Remembering that it's God who changes hearts, not us. It's as Pastor Bob Deffenlaff says, parents can help train their children in the way of godliness, but they cannot make their children godly. But it doesn't mean we be complacent but we can be realistic, remembering that growing in wisdom is a lifelong journey. 
So Proverbs tells us a family of direction is important, you know, direction that is regular, that is relational, that is realistic. But while instruction is vital uh, to a family growing in wisdom, Proverbs is just as sold on a family of dependence. What I mean by that is parents who clearly depend on God. See, there's a mum in our church who parents her two small children full-time while her husband works full-time. And she tells my wife, Lena, that when she gets overwhelmed and upset, uh, she tells her children that she's going to pray. So she prays in front of them and asks God for help. And her, her two-year-old daughter loves it so much that she says to her mum, she doesn't want her mum to stop praying. While instruction is one of the most obvious ways of learning for a person, looking at role models is just as impactful. In particular, children looking to their parents. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says this, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. When a child is raised in a home where they can constantly see a godly example of their mum or dad, they will be blessed. Blessed because they are observing parents who don't only instruct God's wisdom, but observe parents living out God's wisdom in their lives. So how much you spend your time in God's word or in prayer, your children see. How you respond to the joys or difficulties in life your children see. How you live your life in worship, in public or behind closed doors, your children see. Your children will see all this and learn from it. So this ought to challenge us. Are we showing the wisdom of the word that we teach our kids how we live? Or is it just lip service? Or is it instruction that we feel we are actually above? It's as Proverbs, it's as the Proverbs says, are we taught walking in integrity, which is kind of the opposite of hypocrisy, right? Are we practicing what we are preaching? Modeling our children a wise life. But while this can sound challenging to us, I think it's also appealing. It's actually very appealing because what better way to teach God's wisdom than to live it out in front of our kids and be examples? Now, recently, Lena, my wife and I had a tiff and it was over something really, really small, but we were both quite upset with each other. And it was on our way to Dino Fest at Werribee Mansion. So we were frustrated with each other. It was a really hot day. Uh, we were late for the dino parade, which so we missed out pretty much all the dinosaurs, which, you know, I was more upset than my kids. And our elder son, Elijah, could tell that there was tension. So we apologized to each other, Leah and I, and we made up. But what we did was we made sure to do it in front of Elijah even explaining to him why mum and dad are reconciling. And I just love that we get to exemplify the gospel to our kids in this way, that they can learn firsthand by what they observe, but mostly see that this isn't just teachings for them, but this is also teachings for us. And we get to model that, which is essentially what the book of Proverbs is all about to be wise men and women the rest of our lives. And so the book wants us to show, uh, wants to show us the difference between how good wisdom is compared to how bad folly is, pointing us all on how uh, this is the way you should go. And so for a parent, a huge part of that, that Proverbs finds important, 
is to not only be models of wisdom, but to essentially disciple your kids. Parents are discipling their kids in a way of wisdom. And what Proverbs tells us is that part of that discipling must include discipline, that we are families of discipline, that discipline is important. Kids need to know limits and it's actually loving to correct them because we are dealing with children and youth who ultimately are sinners. You know, as Proverbs uh, chapter 22 verse 15 tells us that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. What it's saying is that as a parent, your child is going to be drawn to folly, tangled up in foolishness. So what discipline does is draw them away, unbound them from folly, and instead point them to godly wisdom. But what is most significant in all this is that it must be done in love. And it says, it's as a, a lead pastor, Sydney Hill Geelong, Andrew Grew says so well, that, that a parent's role is to love their child that outworks in discipline. A parent's role is to love their children that outworks in discipline. And discipline is important because of the seriousness and danger of folly. We can see this through the strong language used here in Proverbs. Proverbs 19 verse 18, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Or 13 verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Which is essentially saying that by not not disciplining your children, you are leaving them to die, that you hate them, which is extremely strong language. But Proverbs is making a clear point that you need to discipline that if you don't discipline, you and your kids will suffer. So if you love your children, then you must. And so this raises the question of how? Like different kids respond to different things. Like at the 9am 9 9 service this morning, I was talking after the sermon uh, with somebody about how their parents often uh, took away their privileges, which worked out well for them as a form of discipline. While another talked about how they responded well by being told off. And they knew uh, by the volume of uh, the, the parent's voice of how, you know, how told off they were, essentially. But this does also raise the question of a physical dis- discipline, to spank or not to spank. And after reading through the Proverbs, it's quite clear on it. There are a number of verses that refer to this kind of discipline. Proverbs 29 verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Or Proverbs 23 verse 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. See, in most cultures, this is standard. You know, like in Bible college, when I was in Bible college in Canada, this topic came up and a few of us shared about how, and like our experiences with discipline in the Christian home, how normal it was. You know, I had a friend who was there from Jamaica and said, yep, happens all the time. Another friend from Belarus and said that she actually felt like it actually helped her become the woman that she is, the faithful woman that she is, uh, the physical dip- discipline in our house. And I myself have a Vietnamese background, which is very, very normal. But only in our Western culture is this a controversial issue that the Western culture would question the use of physical discipline, mainly because of the danger of family violence. And there's something important here, because it's good, very good, to protect our families 
against violence. It's something we should be doing. And some of you may have experienced this discipline done poorly, discipline done wrong in your lives. I want to tell you that here at City on a Hill, we absolutely have a zero tolerance for family violence. We are totally against that. And there are laws in our state that seek to protect against family violence, that anything seen as unreasonable punishment can be reported as a criminal offence. You read that in the law. But our law also does give space for reasonable punishment to discipline children, a law that's actually across our whole nation in every state. And I think that's a wise principle to consider as we put Proverbs into practice, that it takes great wisdom to wrestle with that, that physical discipline is a legitimate part of your toolbox, but it must be done very carefully and very wisely, that disciplining may at times require you to use different forms of it because the Proverbs are making the point that discipline is crucial. Without it, you're putting them to death. Without it, you and your child will pay a price, a bigger price for your child as they bind themselves even further into folly. So I want to suggest five practical principles to consider in our disciplining our kids. These aren't strictly from scripture, what I'm going to share here, just some from me, so you don't have to take this as Bible, but these are five principles that I think could be helpful. One, discipline should never be done in anger. See, oftentimes when we're angry, we lash out. You know, we do things we regret. We take things too far. And you'll notice that when in anger, it's not just physical discipline that can be severely damaging, but words too, where we may say things out of anger to our children that affect them negatively in the long term. So may I suggest taking time out before thinking of discipline. Count to 10 or go take a walk. Two, explaining before and after discipline is beneficial. I think unexplained discipline can often lead to fear, lead to confusion, lead to resentment from your children. But letting them know before and or after is always helpful in their understanding and reasoning. Three, that each child is different. You wouldn't discipline your toddler the same as you know your teenager. And so discipline also changes as your child grows and matures. And as well as that, some kids might respond to it while others may not. Fourth, uh, think about others when disciplining. So think about your spouse when disciplining. Stereotypically speaking, women and men often discipline differently. We are wired differently. So listen to each other. Be patient with our spouse and learn from each other. But as well as your spouse, you can also think of, say, a church member or perhaps a gospel community or even Pastor Luke or myself. Imagine them there with you and ask if you discipline them the same if they were there. You know, WWLD, WWKD, what would Luke do? What would Coy do? You know, would you be comfortable disciplining in this way if others were right there in the room with you watching? And five, be prayerful. Before or after disciplining, our kids pray. Bring it to God because it's his wisdom that we need, not our own. Pray for our kids that they would learn and grow in wisdom and faithfulness through the discipline. Pray for ourselves that we may grow in wisdom in our disciplining. And I think a passage that captures 
discipline in Scripture really well is one found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 to 11, which says this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In the moment, discipline is painful, not pleasant. Painful to the child and painful to the parent. You know, as a parent myself, now I'm starting to learn that cliche line that we've all heard before uh, when, when dis- being disciplined or disciplining that this hurts me more than it hurts you. It isn't pleasant, correction and training. And yet as a child before, as well, disciplining wasn't pleasant either. You know, I didn't enjoy kneeling in the corner of a room facing the wall, you know, the classic Asian discipline, that one. And there were times I resented my mum for her discipline. Absolutely. But as an older person, I see it quite differently now. You know, my mum got it wrong sometimes. I get it wrong sometimes. But I'm glad my mum loved me enough to discipline me in my waywardness, correcting me and showing me that there are consequences in life. And I can see her heart for God now and how she loved me too much to want to save me from myself. As the Hebrews passage says, this is the same attitude that God has for you. Because when it comes to discipline as children, it's easy for us to think, now why would discipline be good? But it's not only children who ask this, but we can still do this in our adulthood. You know, when something that we've done bears consequences, clear consequences from God, we can subtly wonder in our hearts, God, how can this discipline be good? But that's where the Hebrews passage reminds us of the great joy that it's in our being disciplined that we are treated, we are being treated as God's children, that we are his true sons and daughters when we are being corrected. Because here is a God who doesn't want us to fall into folly, but wants us to grow in wisdom and wants us to grow in faithfulness. Here is a God who truly loves us, loves us so much that he would not want us to stray into death, but wants us to share in his life and his holiness. And so as the Hebrews passage says, while discipline is often painful at the time, there is good that comes out of it. And the gospel echoes this. Because in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, when Jesus, the son of God, was put on the cross to be crucified, it was as painful a time as it could get. The darkest day in history, as the saviour of the world was put to his death. But the greatest good would come out of it. Because by Jesus dying on that cross, dying the death meant for sinners, meant for us. It meant anyone who would believe in him would be included in his family, be part of the family of God. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection invites us to. 
God made family so that we could be in his. And this is so freeing because it means that our identity isn't in our earthly families, but it's in an everlasting family. Because for many of us, our family experience hasn't been like the one encouraged here in Proverbs. But for many of us, we've been raised or a part of broken families where devotion, where direction, where dependence, where discipline has been done poorly or even straight up done wrong. But to know that we belong to the family of God means we have the almighty God as our father, Abba Father, we can call him dad who is truly good and truly loves you as evidenced on that cross. So he knows and wants what is good for his children. He wants us to know more of him and to be more like him. And so as his own children, we can be sure that God disciplines us out of his love for us because as his, by his grace, he has already embraced us into this everlasting family. You know, as Galatians 4 says, God sent Jesus so that we would be adopted as sons and daughters and be heirs through God. And so discipline is good because he does it to make us more like him. He does it so that we can look more and more like members of his family, which we already are. It's as Tim Chester, our author, says in his book, God-Centered Family, Grace doesn't mean no discipline. Instead, it changes the way we discipline. We combine discipline with love and acceptance. We discipline our children and point to the forgiveness one on the cross. We accept our children as they are, but with an agenda for change. An agenda for change. And that's what Christian parenting is all about, isn't it? That there is this gospel hope we have for our children. That our devotion that our direction, that our dependence, that our discipline will all lead to our kids one day being part of that wonderful family of God that we are a part of. That they too may one day rejoice in the promise that those who are his see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So let's pray now for our kids Pray for our parents, pray for family, that the hope of the gospel will continue to move and be experienced from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that in your Son, Jesus, we have been invited into your family to be your sons and daughters, free to live in the joy of an everlasting Father. And Lord, we want to pray for our kids in a world that is so anti-you, we ask for your mercy, strength, wisdom, and grace as we parent over these young souls who are constantly in battle. We ask that you would raise up a new generation of men and women who fear you with their whole hearts as to want to give you their lives. We pray for parents. May we be mums, dads, grandpas, grandmas who cherish you in how we live. May we trust in you to do a good work in us, in our parenting, that we may steward well these gifts of children that you've given us, that we may see your, fa- your family grow as our children are called your children. What kind love you have given us that you would call us yours. And we pray all this in your wonderful name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.